It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in. I'm thrilled to be joined by Scott Wren of uh, the RMO LLP probate litigation firm. Um, Scott, it's great to have you on the program. You've got quite an interesting story of what led you into uh, this unique uh, practice that you and your partner, um, Sean uh, Munts, uh, together you've developed in, uh, in, on the West Coast. But Scott, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Scott, behind every entrepreneur, there are folks that, uh, that have a story, have a, have a backstory. How did you get started? Grew up farming in rural Wisconsin, grew up in a small community, and I think I was looking for a practice area that shared those kind of communal values, and probate litigation is where that is at. You are here to take care of people in a very difficult time in their lives where a loved one is compromised or where they've lost someone that they care about deeply and they need help walking through the mess that can be probate and certainly is the mess that is probate litigation. Absolutely. And I know that your grandmother was uh, somewhat of an influence of why you again chose uh, to go into probate litigation. Um, I think something happened when you were around uh, 15 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Well, my grandmother retired when I was around 15 from farming. And after retirement, she spent a lot of time in the home. And once I was visiting and the phone kept ringing off the hook incessantly, she was being pestered, peppered by phone solicitors who were essentially taking advantage of her because she had nothing else to do. Um, and she was writing checks for $5 here and $10 there and $20. And she didn't have the money or the resources, nor did she have really the wherewithal to be able to resist those kinds of things. And that kind of elder abuse, financial elder abuse really sat with me. And it's something that we rail against here in our practice across the country, frankly, every day. Uh, definitely, definitely. Again, um, I'm fascinated by the by the growth of your firm, RMO LLP. Uh, you started in 2015 in Los Angeles. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the growth that has already occurred and why you are focusing on the growth, not just on the West Coast, but I believe you're slowly making your way further, further out east. We are. Yeah, we started in 2015, me, myself and I the power trio, and but we've expanded into throughout California, Kansas City, where we cover Missouri and Kansas, in Houston, covering Texas, Miami, covering Florida, and we've got a national growth strategy. We're looking at New York, Chicago, Boston, the usual wealth centers, and the strategy is we have a better mousetrap. We frankly take better care of people. There are far too many bad lawyer jokes, and they exist for a reason. And we really set a tone here at our firm with a set of core values that begin with leading with empathy. 
And we find that by taking very good care of people, getting them better results sooner and for less legal spend, frankly, so we can put them in a place where they can move on with their lives sooner, is something that really resonates with people. Because I think most people who are caught in these quagmires really want one thing, and that's relief from chaos, release from, relief from dysfunction, relief from litigation, dispute, contention, and they want to be able to honor their loved one's legacy and they want to move on. And we frankly have a better way of doing that. Um, Definitely. That takes care of people. So Definitely. there's a lot to unpack there um, in, in the very fact, the very nature that your firm has a core value. And I want to get back to that in a moment, that core value being lead with empathy. Um, but just on the subject of what you do, I find it interesting. And I know that you're looking uh, to grow into uh, Florida, which it's no uh, no secret, uh, a large and growing elderly population. Um, so there's definitely an uptick in demand for probate litigation. Um, and a lot of this I know is there's, there's a lot that's happening right now in, in terms of wealth transfer that's taking place. What are you seeing, Scott? What should our listeners uh, sort of be watching for in the news? Trillions of dollars in wealth transfer. As the baby boomer generation continues to mature, their wealth is being transferred to the next generation. And it's something that the industry has had their eye on for decades. And it's really starting to come to a head. When you combine those wealth transfers, significant wealth transfers with the growing incidence of dementia, Alzheimer's dementia, advanced aging, et cetera, you kind of get a confluence of events money and people who are unwell and unable to protect themselves. So what ends up happening is the type of disputes that we deal with every day, where you have people breaching their fiduciary duties, lying, cheating, and stealing, changing documents, amending documents, falsifying documents. And that's where we come in to swoop in and protect what your loved one actually wanted, as opposed to perhaps what somebody else wanted for them. Wow, fantastic. So again, I'm chatting with the uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the founder of the RMO LLP probate litigation firm. Leading with empathy is the cornerstone of the firm, um, which certainly has grown quite a bit. So I want to change gears, Scott, and talk about your role as an entrepreneur, because indeed that's what you are um, in growing this business. Why do you think it's important that a business actually has core values? As you suggested, Shalom, it's the cornerstone of the firm. We actually have four of them. Lead with Empathy is the cornerstone of those cornerstones. But we also have three more. Be Authentic, which we define as doing the right thing always, every time, regardless of the consequences. We have We Are Stronger Together because we really believe strongly that we function better and can do more good as a team including with our team members in our communities. And then the last one is zealous efficacy, and it's a play on zealous advocacy. And we made that play because we find and have found over the years that far too many lawyers are far too zealous advocates, even though it doesn't necessarily benefit their client. So we are really focused on results here and getting, again, the best result as soon as you possibly can for less spend, which doesn't necessarily add to the bottom line, but adds to our and our clients' peace of mind. All I can say is we sleep really well at night knowing we take really good care of people. 
That's great. And it's one thing when you're starting a firm and I'm speaking to our small business owners and entrepreneurs that might be tuning in. It's one thing to start a firm and to have those you know, core values, those cornerstones that we were just talking about and know that for yourself. But as you grow um, in line with, again, you're very passionate about what you do in helping people, as you said a moment ago, and you bring people in. I'm curious, Scott, how have you been able to sort of ingrain these core values in your growing team? I'm looking at your website right now, a pretty large team of attorneys, paralegals, marketing folks, administrative folks. Uh, does everybody buy in and what advice would you have to a fellow entrepreneur that might be listening? The best advice I, I would have is to speak to your core values as frequently and consistently as you possibly can. We talk through them in making hiring and when on the rare occasion we have to make those decisions, firing decisions. Uh, we make them when we're empowering people, when we're elevating people, celebrating people. We do quarterly awards where we give awards to people for exemplifying those quarterly value or those core values. We just had our quarterly meeting yesterday where we celebrated four people for each of those those values. And the more you speak to your values, the more consistent you are about your messaging, the more people understand and buy into why you're doing things. And it's really the why that meshes you together as a team. And for us, it makes us genuinely stronger together. That's great. Scott, I've learned a lot in our conversation, both uh, about probate litigation, um, the wealth transfer that's taking place and why it's something that we all need to pay attention to. Of course, the growth of your firm, which is impressive, but uh, certainly uh, the message that you have for all entrepreneurs, regardless of size, is uh, going to stick with me for a while, especially as we move into a new year. So Scott, there's a lot that I'm sure our listeners will want to stay in touch with you on, whether it's getting in touch with the firm or uh, even uh, just learning more about the business. Um, can you give us your website and contact information? Sure, happy to. The website is rmolawyers.com. Reach out, all of our contact information's there rmolawyers.com and uh, certainly leading with empathy is right there, not hard to find. Um, so you can see um, why it is one of those cornerstones or as you say, the cornerstone of the cornerstones, um, which I love that, uh, which is great. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. I encourage all of our listeners to check out rmolawyers.com and we're gonna learn more about Scott and his amazing team um, that is all about taking care of people. We've got to squeeze in a quick break here and get down to business. When we return, I'll be joined by Dean Schroeder, as we continue talking all about the small business jobs and uh, networking information that you need to know as you move into the new year, be sure to check out my website, shalomfine.com. Check out our sponsors, Tom Maravalli, healthplanchicago.com. Again, a quick break on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, and we will be right back. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So uh, we certainly have seen a lot happen over these past few months when we're talking about government. We've been seeing elections taking place. But I got to say that uh, government is not known for operational excellence. And, uh, you know, elections can take place. But the reality is, is that uh, sweeping change uh, and government operating like a business 
not very, very common uh, that that is uh, something that we talk about. I'm thrilled to be joined by Dean Schroeder, who is an award-winning author, consultant, and academic. Dr. Schroeder has worked with organizations worldwide, led radical transformations for four companies, served on four corporate boards, and was on the Board of Examiners for the Malcolm Beldridge National Quality Award for six years. He's the best-selling co-author of Ideas Are Free, the idea-driven organization and practical innovation in government how frontline leaders are transforming public sector organizations. Dr. Schroeder, Dean, welcome to the program. Thank you, Shalom, it's great to be here. Absolutely, a pleasure to have you. So you are touching on a really important conversation um, at a really, really important time. Um, you know, end of the year as we're moving into a new year, uh, we just finally, finally wrapped up uh, these crazy uh, political ads. What got you interested in making government more efficient? Well, actually we were drawn in sort of sideways uh, we launched our last book about eight years ago, and we're getting calls from public sector managers, government managers. Now, we've worked with managers at public sector before, but, you know, we could never get the productivity kicks from our, uh, our, our work that we wanted. And so we decided to see if there was something about government when it came to continuous improvement and ideas and, and, and this sort of thing. What was different about government that made it more difficult? So we started out looking. And academics start out in the research, couldn't find anything, then started looking, said, hey, there might be an article, and grew from there into a book. Wow, amazing. So in the book, again, which we are going to plug several more times, Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transforming Public Sector Organizations, just came out a couple of months ago. You write that some of the high-performing government units you looked at rival the best in the private sector. That seems surprising. What's going on? It is surprising, and we were surprised, but what we found is, you know, one of the challenges in government is all the bureaucracy, the checks and balances, the divided uh, authority, all of which serve a function, but it makes change very difficult. As a matter of fact, rapid improvement events, which in industry might take a couple of weeks, were taking up to 18 months in government. And so we're looking at this, pulling our hairs out and, hair out and saying, hey, you know, this doesn't make sense. But where we found the secret was on the front lines where we had uh, frontline leaders, department heads, um, listening to their frontline people, making a lot of small ideas that flew under the bureaucratic radar. And by golly, these guys were sometimes producing productivity increases of a couple of hundred percent over, uh, over 18 months. Wow, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So again, I'm chatting with Dr. Dean Schroeder, and um, it's it's a fascinating read, and I've I've just gotten uh, started. But what would you say are the major ahas of your book? Well, there are a couple of major ahas. The first first one is that if you want big change, think small, think small, think little ideas. A lot of times we think, oh, we want change, big government needs to transform, yada, yada. You know, we got We can't think small. Well, the opposite is actually true because small ideas can be implemented quickly, easily, and have a surprising impact. We were finding uh, a small idea like uh, changing a manual so people didn't interrupt uh, service technicians would, would all of a sudden say five minutes of an interruption, but those that was happening 36 times a day. And you do the math and what that is, is that's 100K over three years. That's big savings. That's a big improvement. So little ideas are much more important than we think. 
Okay, absolutely. And so, you know, I was just actually listening to some podcasts earlier where they were, they were talking about Tesla, SpaceX, all those sort of things, and a lot of conversation about how government should look at, uh, at business and the private sector. But it's interesting, Dean, you have, a, you have a unique perspective. When you look at the best managed government organizations, are they doing anything that the private sector can learn from? Absolutely. That was the thing that kind of surprised us. We've been studying uh, improvement in industry for about 30 years now. And what we found was what what business was doing, a couple of things that government or that uh, government was doing, excuse me, that business can benefit one from. One is that frontline perspective on small ideas uh, that we, te- we tend to focus on the big stuff. Second, the second is the frontline folks have a perspective of practical application that the people at the top of our organization are oftentimes missing. So even on those bigger projects, and they do need, we need, do need bigger projects, uh, include that frontline wisdom. Pull a couple of frontliners in there, and uh, it'll save you a lot when it comes to implementation and making bad moves. The last thing is every organization needs multiple means for improvement. Things quick and easy on the front line, things in the middle that that are, are process oriented, that getting the right people in the room with a handful of resources and a little bit of time can solve. Two large changes which are more like campaigns and involve a lot of complexity and other changes. But you really need to be operating at improving at all levels. Definitely. Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with Dean Schroeder, award-winning author, consultant, and academic. Uh, He's the co-author of this fantastic read, Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transforming Public Sector Organizations. And as we start to come to the conclusion of our conversation, I'm really, really uh, sort of reflecting on over the past century, uh, there have been lots of attempts to improve government efficiency. Everybody thinks that they can do it. A number at the national level but none of them seem to have had a real impact. Why would you say that is? Well, it is very difficult to change large-scale things that are heavily entrenched. And so while if you're dealing with something like a, a policy change and implementing it, that is very possible to do. But if you think of all the little things at the front lines that are needed to make that change effective and make it really work, um, that's, the, that's the key. And usually that's lacking. Absolutely. And very, very interesting. I appreciate that perspective. I know we're talking to the uh, subject matter expert over here. And and just finally, finally, um, I know that you've seen some, as you've been implying over the past few minutes of our conversation, some really, really good examples of government uh, being more efficient and innovating in many, many major ways. Any examples that you could share with our listeners? Any examples? Yeah, please. Oh, one of my, one of my favorites is uh, the Washington State Patrol Garage. They were... Uh, they're the ones converting regular vehicles into uh, police vehicles, into police vehicles. And uh, like many governments, uh, Washington ran into trouble, so they decided to save, save some money. So what they did is they stopped buying vehicles for a couple of years and fell way behind. High mileage vehicles, lots of problems with them because they didn't buy, them, buy any for a couple of years. Then what happened is uh, they said bought a whole bunch of vehicles and they sat out in the lot because they couldn't convert them fast enough. Well, the frontline guys got together with some lean training by Boeing, of all people, a private sector company, were trained. And uh, within 18 months, they, they had 
tripled their production and solved a lot of problems in the meantime. And they're, they're continuing to learn. It's fun to go out there and watch those guys. Well, these are some great stories, some great examples uh, that we should uh, reflect on as we move into the new year and think uh, aspirationally of, of the change that can happen. Um, and it's all detailed in practical innovation and government have frontline leaders are transforming public sector organizations. It's not just uh, it's not just what should happen, but it's actually some really, really uh, practical examples of what is happening already. Um, Dean, I've enjoyed our conversation. I know our listeners will want to get in touch with you and, of course, pick up a copy of the book. How can they do that? Well, best way is dmschroeder.com, my website, and you can get a hold of me through that. Fantastic. dmschroeder.com. Uh, you can pick up a copy of the book as well as uh, your prior book. I know Ideas Are Free, the Idea-Driven Organization. And uh, Dean, I know you've got a lot of other great information out there. And who knows, maybe another book uh, coming soon as well. Again, you're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. Um, but one thing that I have to say is this time of year is a time to be thankful. And I'm especially thankful for everybody that's joined us over the past year in uh, listening to our shows but also specifically those that have subscribed, rated, reviewed, and shared, because that makes it even easier for other people to find this program. So if you haven't yet done so, get on your favorite podcast app, subscribe, rate, review, and share. Makes it easier for others to find out about the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And speaking of which, get on my website, shalomkline.com, so you don't miss a single episode. You'll be notified and alerted when a new episode drops on your favorite podcast application. So again, get on my website, shalomkline.com, some headlines, commercials. When we come back, we've got more small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I've been super excited for this conversation. I'm thrilled to be joined by Chris Greco who is uh, the president and CEO of StoreWise, a technology company that builds automation software for food retailers over the past 24 months during the height of the pandemic. StoreWise did something pretty unique, tripled in growth and maintained a 99% customer retention rate, far exceeding the average for a software company. Uh, a lot uh, that we're gonna get into in terms of the company, um, but Chris is also the author of Eight Steps to Overcoming Everyday Adversity and is a contributor to many publications. Chris, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Shalom. And I, I got to give you the record for getting that amount of verbiage in in under 10 seconds. <laughs> I try. I've done this a time or two. Oh, no, um, Chris, you've done a lot and you're an inspiration. Um, and so I'm super Thank excited you. for this conversation. That just gives me energy uh, as well. Chris, I love to get to know the person behind the microphone. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a father, husband, uh, entrepreneur. I've been fortunate to be blessed by joining uh, this company Storewise, which is really serving uh, the independent grocery industry, and you know, at, you know, as we all know, the towns survive um, or thrive with having a very good functioning uh, grocery store. And my software and my technology platform basically enables them uh, to do that. That's that's fantastic. So it's almost like you have a couple of different identities, but I know that they all come together. Um, Chris, as, as I mentioned, I know you authored um, this fantastic read, Eight Steps to Overcoming it, Everyday Adversity, which has been endorsed by many leaders, including the former vice chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Bill Owens. Yeah. Chris, what was it that inspired you to write the book and how does it connect to what you do every day? 
Well, I lost my father when I was 15 years old. We struggled, you know, financially. Um, uh, that, that was just the start. And I've always had it in my mind to actually leave something for my kids. And so I kind of built this, uh, started out as just a simple uh, letter to my uh, um, 10-year-old son at the time. And then it, I just kept writing and writing and writing. And it culminated into the book that, you know, took uh, what, what most will say an uh, inspirational story of overcoming hardship into identifying, you know, eight steps or eight lessons that any, um, anyone, you know, can apply to their own situation. And um, there's never, there's rarely been a, you know, a time, you know, uh, especially the last two years with COVID where, where this advice is, is, is timely and relevant. Okay, absolutely. So adversity is something that many entrepreneurs, many people tuning into this program face in their business. Um, I, I often talk about resiliency on this program. But yep. Chris, from your perspective, why do some people overcome adversity while others get beaten by it? And you've certainly had a lot of adversity, like you said, on the personal side. And I, I know we won't have time to cover everything in business. But, yep. but what, what are some of the lessons that you've seen that you've been able to share? So well, the two, I mean, the two big, you got to have resolve. Every, every great um, uh, leader um, has really two key qualities. And Jim Collins, it's not my words, it's discussed in, in, in his book, Good to Great. Uh, number one is resolve. Number two uh, is, is humility. And I think those are really foundational to overcoming, you know, building a, a startup. I'm, you know, now in my third, on my third one, uh, at first time as, you know, CEO. So a lot of, a lot of hard lessons there. But the, I, the other aspect is really having a, you know, a growth mindset and just uh, just understanding that, you know, things are always going to or will always, you know, take longer and they're always going to be harder than what they seem. Uh, my motto has always been, um, you know, life is good and it's hard. And I think that we see that life is good, you know, smiley face on T-shirts, which is fine. I, I think it's great what those you know, two entrepreneurs did, but it only tells half the story to really uh, um, achieving uh, success in life. And that's the second half, which is life is hard. And I've always had that, whether in my personal life and professional life. And I think that's a bit, been a, a big boon to um, uh, success. Absolutely. Uh, that's some really good advice from the president and CEO of StoreWise. Like I said, a technology company that builds automation software for food retailers. Um, but certainly uh, the personal story tells a a lot of how you've been able to achieve that success in business as well. So Chris, unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time and I, I've got time for one bit of advice that I want to ask you to share with fellow entrepreneurs that might be tuning in, especially as we move into the new year. What have you sort of experienced that maybe you 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 want to give the playbook to to fellow entrepreneurs? The The hardest things are worth doing and you're never, you're never, I mean, I, I came into the a very small you know startup early stage company at the age of 48 and some would say that might be a bit old it should be something that okay. we're doing in our in our in our you know 20s and 30s but i brought a lot of experience to it and i think that uh being able to assemble a great leadership team which is foundational to success and a good employee base and you know uh last but not least a a thriving culture uh, is something that I'd recommend for for any entrepreneur, but always look at taking on the the hard things um, because those are the most rewarding. Words of wisdom right there from Chris Greco. Um, lots to learn from you, but I know you put a lot of advice in your book, Eight Steps to Overcoming Everyday Adversity. It's received many accolades uh, since it's published this year. Um, Chris, I want to make sure we could get in touch with you. What's the best way yep. to do that and pick up a copy of the book? 
Yep. Uh, two websites. So uh, my company's website, uh, storewise.io. That's storewise.io. My personal website, uh, ChristopherGreco.org. And if anyone wants to shoot me uh, an email uh, and tell me their story of adversity, I will be happy to send them a signed copy of my book. And they can find my email address on those websites or they can send it to CG at ChristopherGreco.org. Chris, you're an inspiration, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So we know that one of the most difficult roles in a company is that of a salesperson. In order to succeed, you need to approach the journey with curiosity, diligence, and practice. Sales is no longer a simple linear process, and thus professionals in the industry and those who hope to enter the industry require new skills. That's why I'm thrilled to be joined by Steve Weinberg, who spent his life selling and helping others sell better faster and more. He's also the author of Above Quota Performance, which just came out a few months ago. Steve Weinberg, welcome to the program. Thank you, Shalom. It's nice to be here. It's good to have you. It's good to have you. So we know that 50%, more than 50% of sales professionals regularly fail to achieve their annual sales targets. Why do you believe that that is, Steve? That's an astonishing number, isn't it? Uh, when I began my book, I did research on this, and I found a lot of credible sources, about about a dozen of them, that estimated that the amount of failure of salespeople to reach their quota was anywhere from 46% to about 65%. So I settled in on the number of 50%. I figured that was a safe number. But it, it seemed, and by the way, this has been the case for many years, at least uh, according to my research, at least 25 years that, is, that it has been that way. And companies have seemed to accept that as a given. And that, you know, that's a separate topic as to why they've done that. But your question is, you know, why does that occur? If you ask salespeople why that happens, they'll tell you very simply that their quotas are too high. Uh, but that's not the case because 50% don't make it, but then 50% do make it. So that's evidence that the quotas are not too high. But the the other, I would say, the main reason for the failure is that most salespeople are calling on the wrong prospects and they're not, uh, they're not identifying who they should call ahead of time and they're wasting a lot of time calling on people that will never buy uh, or will buy from their competitor. Uh, I would say that's the main reason for that. Uh, they're also, not understanding, salespeople really don't understand who their main competitor is. And if you ask salespeople who their main competitor is, they'll give you anywhere from one to five names of, of the companies that they normally compete with. But their main competitor is do nothing. And if the salespeople go, don't go into a, an opportunity prepared to compete against do nothing, then they'll probably lose the sale. 
Sure. Again, I'm chatting with Steve Weinberg. I know Steve has spent over three decades of leadership experience in sales, including some companies that many of our listeners are familiar with, including Dun & Bradstreet Software, uh, Deloitte & Touche. And uh, Steve has a bachelor's in economics and business administration and an MBA, uh, is also a CPA with experience in accounting, consulting, and a graduate level economics instructor. Steve, um, what you're touching on is really, really interesting because especially as we look at the end of the year, when everybody's sort of looking at their numbers. Um, there's no other industry, there's no other profession where a pattern of low performance success would be tolerated. And like you said, there are those that are meeting and even exceeding their, their quotas. So it is possible. Steve, this is an interesting time to have this conversation when we're sort of everything's all about innovation. I know you're a big fan of LinkedIn. How do you suggest that even small business owners and entrepreneurs um, that might be sort of digging in uh, to how they can find prospects and close sales, what are some of the new trends that you would recommend our listeners pay attention to? Well, first of all, the, uh, everybody should be on LinkedIn. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the statistics that they publish, the number of business people, business executives, small business, medium and large business executive uh, that are on LinkedIn are in the hundreds of millions and it's on a global basis. So if your mark, whether your market is regional or national or global, uh, you'll find people to sell to in LinkedIn. Now, most people are familiar with LinkedIn as a tool for managing their career and looking for career opportunities. But I found, and I was an early adopter of LinkedIn going back to, I think, 2008. But I found that LinkedIn is very, it's a very good tool. I call it my secret sauce. It's a very good tool for identifying the right people in an organization and reaching out to them in a, in a proper manner. And the proper manner uh, does not mean connecting with them and immediately trying to sell them, but to connect with the right people and then offer them information and build a relationship with them on LinkedIn. And then from there, you, co you can uh, perhaps introduce yourself as, as a possible solution provider to them. But as evidence of that, uh, in my most recent employment, I closed the largest uh, sale in the company's history by a multiple of eight times over the previous highest one, which was quite a bit higher. And I found the prospect on LinkedIn and w was able to approach that person uh, by by following the, the first thing I did was I followed the company. So I identified a target company and then you can set an alert on LinkedIn to let you know about news on that company. And the company alerted me that they hired a position, hired a person in a position that was uh, an area that we would normally target. I reached out to that person and offered my assistance and then uh, and, and explain to that person that I had been calling on that company. Shortly after that, uh, he accepted my invitation and then told me that the pro that he had a project uh, in which he thought uh, I could possibly help them. Mm -hmm. From there, well, Steve, Steve, I've got to cut it off over there because I want to make sure we have we we can squeeze in a little bit more of your tips, tricks, and okay. advice after the break. I'm chatting with Steve Weinberg, the author of Above Quota Performance, just published in September. It's a great read, and you can find out more about Steve and his book, SteveWeinbergSales.com. But again, a quick break. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Don't touch that dial. 
are back on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. And speaking of sort of small business and entrepreneurship, and frankly, jobs too, we've been chatting all about sales, which is integral in all of those areas. And that's why this book that we've been chatting about, Above Quota Performance, written by Steve Weinberg, a sales leader who has spent over three decades of leadership in uh, sales um, is uh, absolutely a must read. Uh, so Steve, we've been chatting a little bit about LinkedIn. You've been sharing your really, really practical advice and experience, but above quota performance, not just a read, it's really, it's a guidebook. Steve, what will our listeners walk away if they pick up a copy? I think they'll uh, receive a lot of ideas and tips that worked for me over the years. And many of them are, are very non-traditional and different from what sales trainers will tell you today and in the past. Uh, you know, I came up through accounting and moved into sales. I didn't have a lot of sales training, so I learned a lot of this on my own. But very quickly, when I, one idea that I have in the book is to welcome objections. And this is like heresy for a lot of sales trainers. But for me, it, it made a lot of sense to understand why somebody wasn't buying. So if they didn't even, if they didn't voice objections, I would even ask them for objection. You know, like, why wouldn't you buy from me? And then uh, listen to what they say and not try to neutralize it or counter it or, or disparage it, but receive it as really helpful information that would guide me to make the sale. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And uh, that's why everybody needs to look at this, whether you are in sales yourself, whether you're a business owner, um, or frankly, even if you're looking for a job, because frankly, I believe every single position these days is truly about sales. And there's some really, really staggering statistics that we were talking about before. Um, software firm Salesforce.com's third annual state of sales reported that um, uh, sales pros, 57% expect to miss their quotas. Uh, this is in 2019, but unfortunately that's continuing. So it is critical that everybody starts to get to above quota performance. Um, so what is the one tip, the one trick? You've already touched on LinkedIn, but what's the one homework assignment that you want to leave all of our listeners with in the week ahead? Well, I think people ask me what the number one mistake salespeople make, and it's actually a very simple mistake. Salespeople just don't listen and they need to improve their listening skills and they need to stop thinking about how to respond while somebody is speaking and just take the time to listen to what they're saying. If, if you improve your listening skills, I believe you'll improve your sales skills. It's a very simple That's change to make. That's great advice. That's a great mindset change to uh, to make as you move into the year ahead. Listen more. Steve, I've learned so much in our conversation. I can't wait to have you back on real soon, but definitely this is uh, definitely a New Year's resolution kind of thing. This is definitely a good, uh, good uh, purchase that folks can make so they could get it on their doorstep before New Year's. Um, Steve, how can we get in touch with you and how can we pick up a copy of the book? Well, you can pick up the copy of the book on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or BooksAmillion.com. And my website is www.steveweinbergsales.com. And that's S-T-E-V-E-W-E-I-N-B-E-R-G.com. 
And I know in line with your advice, I know we could find you on LinkedIn as well. Just search for Steve Weinberg and you'll see uh, all of of the great content that's being pushed out there. Steve, really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to having you back on in the uh, the new year ahead. Um, But what a great variety of conversations we've had on the show today. We've we've chatted about with family businesses. We've talked about probate law. We've talked about uh, overcoming adversity. Uh, We've certainly talked a little bit now about sales. So much advice. I encourage everybody again, Subscribe, rate, review, and share uh, on this podcast, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, so you don't miss a single episode. You can get on my website, shalomkline.com. Check out our sponsor, Tom Mirabali, healthplanchicago.com, for all of your health insurance, affordable care act needs. Um, but a great conversation indeed, and I look forward to sharing more with you, our fellow listeners, in the weeks ahead. We'll be back Sunday at 6 p.m. Central Time right here on AM560, The Answer to Success. Let's get down to business. 